Welcome back to This Is Her Story, and I'm excited about this episode. I had an opportunity to interview Pastor Anna Good, and she is lead pastor of Madison Church. Uh, it's down in Adrian, Michigan, and we had some great conversation. Uh, so first, I just want to say to the eight of you who uh, downloaded the unedited version that I accidentally posted. Uh, shout out for being so excited that you were willing to uh, download an episode that wasn't even didn't even have a title on it. You just it just had the date. Anyway, I hope you'll go back and listen to this one that has been edited. And we just had some great conversation. Talked a little bit about what it's like to pastor a rural church. Um, that is, has been established and is a little bit older. We also talked about what it's like to be a lead pastor who's single and how that um, changes some of the dynamics. And then we just had just a good time talking about what it's like, um, or at least I enjoyed our conversation, discussing what it's like to be in a spiritually dry season of ministry um, and that we still Still have uh, we can still have incredible encounters with God even when we're in the dry seasons where it seems like He's um, not giving clear direction, but we still um, can have that experience with God that um, is profound and, and is teaching us and growing us spiritually. Maybe it's a little painful to be stretched that way. Um, we want, we always want to be at the top of the mountain, but the reality is there's valleys in life, um, as well as in ministry. And Anna has a great, uh, positive outlook, um, on ministry, but when things aren't happening the way we want them to happen or at the speed that we want them to happen, what we need to really rely on is our call and that relationship that we have with God to help us to keep um, being faithful and persevering. Anyway, I hope you will enjoy this episode. It's a little bit longer, but it is definitely worth it. We really need to tell better stories. Instead of complaining about it, right? What if we right. just start telling the stories and really flood the airwaves with something different? podcast. Thanks for meeting me. Thank and you Tim for inviting Horton, me. <laughs> in Tim Hortons, we'll tell all of our people that you might hear weird stuff in the background, like people answering their phones. But there was no one here when we got here. That's um, true. <laughs> no one. <laughs> and to just talk a little bit about where you're serving now, how long you've been there. Yeah, so I have been serving at Madison Church of the Nazarene since uh, September of 2016, so three years now to celebrate my third year, yay! And I um, have been the lead pastor the entire time, the only pastor on staff. I don't have a staff at all. So um, it's been a unique challenge. Um, previous to that, I had been a children's pastor and then an associate pastor. So making the jump to being a lead pastor was 
quite a significant step for me. Um, and it's in located in Adrian, Michigan, which is a small, kind of semi-rural town. They're the largest town in the county, and I think they they claim they have 12,000 people. I think it's uh, probably um, when they do this, the count is probably when all the college students are in town. I think it's probably closer to about eight to 9,000. So, um, so we have a Walmart, super Walmart, but that's about it. So <laughs> I, I like living there, um, just being able to experience kind of this semi-rural life. Um, I have cornfields surrounding, well, Actually, it's soy this year. It's either soy or corn, depending on the year. Um, okay. uh, surrounding me and the church um, for uh, on two sides, so um, that's kind of been a change. You know, being able to look outside my window and see deer and fox and all sorts of other um, wonderful creatures that uh, are out there. So, so it's a different setting than what I've been familiar with in the past. I kind of grew up in the suburbs. So just kind of adjusting culturally to those types of things, um, just yeah. the pace of life being a little bit slower and and that sort of thing. So, yeah. That church has been, it's, it's established church, so how long has it been? It is. It was established in 1952 um, as a Second Church of the Nazarene, originally is what it was called, and it was... Um, uh, established on the east side of Adrian because um, there were congregants that, or at least the story goes, there were congregants that um, weren't able to make it to Adrian First location because um, the bus line didn't go out that far. So, um, they ended up starting a satellite church um, over on the east side of Adrian, and once it was established, they ended up buying some property where we're currently located, which is um, a little bit outside the city limits in the Madison Township area. So even though we're located technically in Adrian, uh, we're called Madison because we're in Madison Township. So so you're currently serving in Madison. What do you enjoy most about your current assignment? I think I enjoy most just the process of getting to know my people. You know, it's been three years, and um, I'm still really diving into who they are and getting to hear their stories. And I think the longer you're there, the more people will open up. And so I've had some recent conversations with people that I know would have never happened in the first couple of years I was there. And so they've, it's been really precious just being able to engage with them kind of on this deeper level. And I think that's probably one of my favorite things. The other thing I really enjoy um, there is they have a, a real openness to being taught and they love their Bible studies and so we seem to always have at least one if not two Bible studies going and so just being able to teach and um, in that way has been, been really neat. That's cool and I'm glad you said that though about just stuff stuff you can do now that you couldn't do and I, I think we forget that really at the three-year mark is when our ministry is just getting started it takes that long at least some, especially for some people to establish that trust. Yeah. So it's kind of like, oh, I guess you're not going anywhere. So <laughs> we'll just, uh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe be a little bit more engaged. So yeah. 
Yeah. Well, we haven't driven you away yet. I guess we'll do so. <laughs> right. I guess you do like us. <laughs> oh, that's fun. So you grew up in a more suburb, and so yeah. did you grow up in the church? I did not grow up in the Nazarene church. So I grew up in the suburbs of Flint. I'm originally from the Flint area, Burton, actually, specifically. And I grew up in the General Baptist Church, um, which is an Arminian Baptist group, which is oh, really rare. Yeah. <laughs> um, we actually predate um, most organized Baptist churches by quite a bit. Um, they were established in the early 1700s, right or about the time of Wesley, actually. But um, uh, so leaf-wise... Um, Doctrinally, I was very close to the Nazarene Church and just didn't know it, um, but grew up in that um, particular denomination, was third generation, ended up kind of coming to the Nazarene Church by default. I had um, moved to uh, the other side of the state and, and was looking for a place to worship, and I knew there weren't any General Baptist churches in the area, and I had some friends who were going to a Nazarene church, and so... I called my dad, and I was like, Dad, do you know anything about these Nazarenes? And he was like, yeah, they're pretty good. Like, I believe I was like, all right, well, I'll try there. And so I ended up going to Jackson First Church of the Nazarene and um, loved it and started worshiping there um, after I got established and was living there for about three years. So, so is, that, is that where you did your undergrad then? No, actually, I did my undergrad at the University of Michigan Flint. I was oh, okay. a sociology major. Actually, after I finished my degree, I moved to the Jackson area to work at a ministry. I was the program manager at a ministry, and um, so that's how I got to the Jackson area. Okay, yeah. So, so you ended up in the Jackson Church. Mm-hmm. So you grew up in the church, so when did Jesus become real? Were you one of those where you just never know, knew a time when you didn't know? I think that's a lot of my story. Um, I remember I was quite, I don't remember the exact age that like I had the, you know, what we traditionally call salvation experience. Um but I remember I was really, really happy, and I told my mom, and she was like, well, what happened? And I said, you know, I, I asked Jesus into my heart, and I think the moment it became really real to me, though, was um, when I was 13, I was at a renewal service, and I was kind of at that point where I was watching a lot of my friends kind of start to make some pretty poor life decisions, and they were inviting me to participate in those poor life decisions, and it was kind of coming down to this idea of, well, am I going to be rebellious or and follow this path that clearly leads to drugs and partying and all that stuff, or am I not, you know, and... I was at a renewal service, and God just kind of got a hold of my heart and was like, either this faith is for real or you need to walk away now. Yeah. And I said, well, I don't want to walk away. So I, th I would say at that point it became real to me. I like hearing, because I have an adult conversion uh, story, so I, I've always prayed, I want my kids to have, quote, unquote, boring testimonies, mm -hmm. you know, and someone was saying, oh, so, someone else who grew up in the church said, I never knew what you meant until I had kids. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, oh, now I know what you mean. Um, 
So you ended up in at, you ended up at Jackson Church of the Nazarene, mm-hmm. and so you ended up being ordained in the Nazarene Church. Yeah, I did. So how did that whole call come about? So I was actually still attending Jackson First Church of the Nazarene, and um, while I was there, I was having devotions with the Lord one morning, and pretty much felt like God just kind of whacked me upside the head and was like, I'm calling you to preach. And the tradition that I came out of does not have a well-established history of women in ministry. We had directors and we had children's, you know, leaders, but to see a woman pastor was just not something that was seen, encouraged, talked about, any of that. So I just kind of grew up in this tradition of, well, women helped in the church, but they were not the leaders of the church. None of our deacons were women or anything like that. So I'm sitting on the floor in my bedroom having my devotions, and God's saying, I'm calling you to preach. And I'm saying, you're funny, Lord, because women don't preach. (laughs) And so I argued with the Lord for a few months. And finally, I was like, this is just getting to the point where I just can't, I've got to figure this out. Like this impression, this um, weight is not going away. Like I very clearly feel like the Lord is telling me that I need to preach. And so I scheduled an appointment with um, Pastor Phil Stout, (laughs) who was the pastor at Jackson First Church of the Nazarene at the time. And it was, wasn't even a real long meeting. I don't remember much about it other than I remember marching in and basically sitting down in his office and him saying, you know, what can we talk about? You know, why are you here? And I'm like, God's calling me to preach and I don't believe in women preachers. <laughs> and him kind of pausing and then saying, well, here in the Church of the Nazarene, we do believe in women preachers. And that kind of, I don't really remember the conversation after that point. But I remember for the first time feeling like, okay, maybe God has called me to this and I need to figure out what I believe about women ministers. And if I'm going to be obedient to God, how do I, how do I reconcile and then be obedient to that? That kind of set me on the path. Um, I talked to a couple of women ministers um, that he pointed me to, to speak with and it was, it was really a, quite a long process. Like it didn't happen overnight that I just suddenly was like, well, I'm going to go be ordained, you know? Um, no, not at all. Like, um, about the time that I was having that experience shortly after I ended up moving back to the Flint area and started attending Flint Central and, um, Glenn Gardner was the pastor there and, we got connected and we started talking and I said, I have this call to preach, but I don't know what I believe about it. Like I, I, ca- I kind of see where maybe women can be preachers, but I'm not sure. And so he ended up encouraging me to take some district classes. And so I started taking these district classes and then that turned into, well, maybe you should really think about going to seminary. And so I ended up moving to seminary and it's so funny because my first year of seminary, People would say, you know, well, are you here to become a pastor? And I'd say, no, I'm here to learn how to preach. I don't believe in women pastors. <laughs> and so God had moved me from so no. you think you're just going to be like an evangelist? Yeah, like pretty much. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And so like God had moved me from 
no on women preaching at all to, okay, women can preach. And then it was like, I got to seminary and seeing all these different people ministering, hearing, you know, where we stood as our position as the church, God just really working on my heart and just showing me time and time again in scripture. And then it was like, okay, well, women can be pastors, just not me. <laughs> and then um, while I was at seminary, I ended up being called and asked to be a children's pastor. And then I was like, well, women can be pastors, just not lead pastors. <laughs> and then essentially um, about about a year before I left seminary, um, I went to the Wesleyan Women Clergy Conference. Oh, yeah. What country was it on that? It, it, that was when we were in Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. Basically, I took a walk after one of the sessions, and God pretty much just smacked me upside the head again and said, how long are you going to keep fighting me on this? I've called you to preach. I've called you to pastor. I've called you to lead. Just do it. And so I was like, okay, God. So the next day I called my past, my lead pastor and said, God's calling me to be a lead pastor. I need someone to mentor me. Will you do it? And he said, took you long enough. <laughs> and so um, about a year later, I was interviewing at Madison Church in the Nazarene. So, so that's my story kind of in a nutshell, a rather large nutshell. Yeah, then we have to hold on to that because, you know, things come about and you're like, yeah, I heard that wrong. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, there's been so many, but all the way back in 2009, when I got that first call to preach, like I had written it in my prayer journal and just going back to that time and time again, that like, no, this is what God is calling me to. And, and I want to love the Lord with all my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. And if this is what God is calling me to be and to do, then I need to be obedient, no matter what it looks like, no matter what sacrifice I mean, need to make. Like, this is what he's called for me. And what's so amazing is the Lord is so good to us. Because I think if the Lord would have said, I'm calling you to be a lead pastor, I would have done the Jonah thing probably and wasted years of my life trying to just outrun that call. But because God took me along so gradually and the way that I needed to be led and to in in small steps of obedience that eventually lead to big steps of obedience, being able to um, to rest in in the goodness of the Lord during those times and and realizing that about three months after I arrived at Madison, I'm standing up on the platform and I'm in the middle of a sermon and it was like, it was like everything just hit the right note, you know, and it was like, this is what I was created to do. Yeah. And it was so reassuring and peaceful and fulfilling in that moment. I was like, okay, Lord, if you never speak to me again, I know that this is what I'm supposed to do and I will be obedient. And now you're three years in. And now I'm three years in. <laughs> Doesn't mean I don't question it sometimes but I know that I know that this is what I'm supposed to do so <laughs> I can argue and I can fight but it doesn't work <laughs> so thinking about your spiritual strengths and gifts um, so obviously God's given you the gift to preach just talk a little about what, what are you what's your spirit what are your spiritual strengths and how do you use them well according to the apest test <laughs> um 
which I hope your listeners are familiar with that particular oh, test. I hope so. <laughs> um, if you haven't taken it, I would strongly recommend it. Yeah. I am an apostle, and so I mark high in, in apostleship and prophecy. Awesome. That's that's mine, too. I'm... So it um, becomes very interesting sometimes um, wow. when the congregation that I serve in is a little bit older and... Um, they maybe don't have the same amount of energy to match what I am experiencing in the moment. And I get an idea and I'm like, let's do it. And they're like, okay, we'll get there. And I'm like, no, do it now. I want to start this and this. Right, exactly. I want you to start with one. Right. And so actually, you know, at first, um, because I'm new to this whole lead pastor thing, right? Um, At first I kind of felt like it was limiting, um, and I'm like, no, this is what God's gifted me in, and this is how we need. But I'm finding as I settle in more that it's a good fit because where I'm, you know, chomping at the bit, ready to go, they're showing a little bit more wisdom and, and restraints, and which helps me think things through a little bit better and pray things through a little bit better and realizing not every good godly idea is what we need to do. Right. <laughs> So yeah, sometimes I'm, it's a good godly idea for somebody else, and we just are meant to pass it on. Right, right, exactly. Or plant a seed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can you talk about a significant ministry experience you've had? So it doesn't have to be at Madison. Somewhere in this journey. Well, there are many ministry experiences. I think that um, I tend to want to look for the big flashy moments of ministry and want to pin my worth on those. And what I am finding is is that it's moments of quiet ministry that the Lord speaks the loudest or, or I see the change that is occurring in others. And there's a dear lady that we have She's not a member of our congregation, but she's been affiliated with our congregation for a long time. And um, being able to minister to her and in her time of grief, in her time of, of loss, she's undergone some major life transitions in the last few years. And um, being able to walk alongside her during that journey, I think it has changed me in how I approach others in the midst of ministry. So I can't, I, I mean, yes, I could probably point to one single event, but I think more than anything, it's these culminations of small moments where I'm fully present and fully there with them and just allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to both of us in those moments. So I think that might have the more lasting effect than maybe just a big, you know, fireworks and, you know, all the, like, wow factor of a single experience. Yeah, sometimes just sitting with someone and holding their hand in a particular situation, either literally or figuratively, becomes some of the most significant experiences. Right, and and they seem to stick with me a little bit longer as far as... desiring to experience them again, looking for ways to connect with people in in those 
specific types of either environments or um, situations. So let's talk about stuff you're working on now. Is there anything you're working on now or ideas that are brewing that you're excited about? Yeah, so we have, um, so I'm a little bit of an interesting place with our congregation right now. Um, I don't know how much to go into it here, but what I would say is we're a congregation that is and will be experiencing transition. Um, we're very small. Um, we're averaging between 20 and 25. 25 on a really great Sunday. And most of my congregation is aging, which is not not out of the norm for most Nazarene congregations right now. Um, so we're having to ask a lot of really tough questions of, you know, some of these ministries that we've had in the church, they've had for, you know, 20, 30 years when they were all young and vibrant and had time and energy to to put into these ministries. And now most of them are elderly or moving towards that, and they just don't have the time or the energy or the health to commit to some of these ministries that had been near and dear to the church's heart. And so asking some of those questions of, is this ministry appropriate for us to continue doing? If it's not appropriate because we can't send the volunteers like we had been doing or we're not able to contribute in the way that we have in the past, are there new ways that we can um, minister or new expressions of, of ministering in these particular areas? And that's hard. Um, it's disappointing for people because, in, in a sense, they're, they're coming to face their own limitations and in some sense, mortality. <laughs> and um, and so just kind of trying to guide people through that process of celebrating what has been done in the past and the good things about the ministry that they were able to do, as well as grieving um, in those moments of recognition of we can't serve at the men's mission anymore. Right. Or we can't take a trip across the U.S. or internationally to go build a house. Or some of these other things that we, that we tend to, to traditionally want to experience um, in the church life as, as ministry. And so um, helping them find new expressions, um, celebrating the good, grieving, um, you know, the senses of loss, and then saying, well, God's still at work. How do we recognize where we're at, use use the gifts and tools that God has enabled us with right now in this moment and um, continue to fill, fulfill the mission of God? So as far as like being excited for new stuff, we're working through that process of figuring right. out what's appropriate for us. Yeah. Yeah. Was Henry Henry Blackaby says, uh, see where God is already at work and join Him, right? So there's our older congregation, someone's just finding where He's already at work instead of trying to start from scratch. Yeah, and 
recognizing that maybe we need to partner with other people in order to fulfill that mission and looking for ways to connect with some of our sister churches and saying, hey, we really want to participate in this type of ministry. Does your church already have a ministry like that that we can plug into so that we can all contribute to that? And, you know, I tell my people all the time, we are better together. And uh, so looking for ways that we can be together in order to be better and and to make the world better, you know, and and spread the gospel and, and all of that. So... I think that being able to kind of reframe the narrative that that they've heard for a long time. Right. And I've been reading a lot on um, the place of imagination and worship and how we serve as, as ministers of the gospel. And so just trying to help spark some, some imagination. Let's be open to the possibility that it is different. Yeah, doing a little bit of daydreaming. That's, that's fun. That's interesting using your worship your Sunday worship experience to help them dream again and And for some people it's exhilarating and they love it this idea of there's a new ministry that I can be a part of for other people it is absolutely terrifying because it's new and it's unfamiliar and it means maybe doing things that they don't know that they're comfortable doing yet because they've never experienced it yet. Learning new skills. Right. And so um, recognizing that people may not all move in the same direction at the same speed, giving people permission to voice their um, concerns and their cautions while at the same time saying, I hear you, I affirm that this may be upsetting to you or frightening what fill in the blank whatever emotion they seem to be experiencing but this is the way the spirit's leading so going to be obedient not to invalidate your concerns we want to take them into consideration Um, and it may be something that we may need to slow down on or we need to do it a different way But if this is where God is leading, we still need to be faithful. We can't use those as excuses to not be obedient. Yeah. Yeah, creating that space for them to process it. Yeah, and conflict, I mean, because oftentimes that ends up being conflict, right? Right. Conflict is not necessarily a bad thing, but it needs to be dealt with in in a healthy way. And sometimes conflict can be an indication of, of people wanting to all go the same direction, but just being out of sync with one another. Right. And so I think that's where spiritual discernment really comes into play. And having key people within your congregation that can give you that feedback, and, you know, and say, okay, you know, someone might be really struggling with this or people are feeling unsettled, convince ourselves that our congregation tells us everything they don't and um we're out of the loop on a lot of things or at least maybe i can't speak for all ministers but i'm out of the loop on a lot of things um they they thought about telling you right (laughs) they told their friend and then they're like why don't you know right right or they wish that they had told you and then act as though they did tell you that's always fun um like you were supposed to read their minds and know exactly what they were thinking or what was going on 
So, so those places of conflict definitely can come up and, uh, but having, you know, that spiritual discernment and having kind of a team in place that can help you navigate some of those waters um, as the congregation is seeking to move forward and conflicts do come up and just, you know, not being afraid of speaking with people where they're at and listening to them and, and desiring to, you know, find places of resolution um, to have to have just a church of yes, forgive the gender specific term yes men. You know I don't want that. That I don't see that anywhere in scripture. What I do see is people learning how to be led by the Spirit. You know Jesus specifically prayed for his disciples in John chapter seventeen of Lord make them one and prayed for their unity doesn't mean we're free of different opinions or different interpretations, but it does mean that there's a unifying spirit leading us together. And when those things do come up, we are able to, to work through them and to find those places where grace can be a part of the process and um, help us to grow, help us to grow in um, our spiritual walk and grow with one another and our love for one another. Well, I hope that gets edited out. Yeah, I'll edit that out. <laughs> that I'll probably leave it. <laughs> we'll figure out how to edit out the guy dropping his tray. Yeah. Uh, so what is God teaching you right now? Is is God teaching you? Yeah. Oh. He's always trying to teach us whether or not we're paying attention. Right. So yeah, that's always the kicker, isn't it? Um, definitely. I feel like... Um, this last season of, I'd say probably almost a year has been pretty dry. You know, we go through periods where we just feel like we're just growing spiritually, just like, like a jungle, like you can't keep up, you know? And then other times it just feels really dry and like you're trying to get stuff out of the word and you're praying and, and the Lord just seems somewhat unresponsive in some areas. I've never felt that way in my preaching or as far as like praying for people and ministering to people. But I'd say over the last year, there's, you know, I'm praying for guidance. You know, we're, we're at a critical point in our church's history and we need to make some really tough decisions. And so making those decisions, I'm praying for wisdom and discernment and I just feel like I'm not getting anything. <laughs> you know, the Lord's just like, yep, I'm listening. I'm like, no. You're supposed to do the talking. Right. <laughs> Lord, I am specifically asking you for direction, and I'm getting nothing here. Yeah. And so um, that has kind of been really difficult for me to sit patiently and abide I am not a patient person and I am not a sitter. I am a doer and I'm full tilt and it's been a really unique season of feeling like I have one foot in the desert and one foot in the stream of water and experiencing both places of where God seems somewhat distant and far away and also experiencing richness and love and affirmation. All of those things that I think I need. So holding the two intention has been a really unique place um, for me. I've never experienced it quite in this way before. But in recent um, 
weeks and months, um, I picked up a book called The Way of the Heart by Henry Nowen. Well, anything Nowen. Yeah. And being able to... I'm about halfway through the book, and and he talks about the um, Desert Fathers and the practices of the Desert Fathers and the way of silence. Is this the new one with Laura does the intro? No. Well, this is... The one I have is, like, from the 70s, so I doubt it. Because there's a new one that... (laughs) That's out, and I don't know if it's journals or something of his. Oh, and Laura does like an intro. Oh, I'm going to have to pick that up. Yeah, I know. No, this is an older one. Okay, but I absolutely have just loved it. It's been extremely challenging. I'm only reading about a section at a time because I'm um, just the way he writes, and it just seems to cut me straight to the heart and and talking about silence and solitude and being a single person like I experience a lot of silence and solitude um, unless I'm talking to my animals but uh, that's a whole other issue but um, the silence and solitude always is there and it often feels oppressive as a single person especially as a somewhat extroverted single person okay wow (laughs) and so um, but learning to sit in the silence and the solitude and find the presence of the Lord there has been very challenging and also um, life-giving in many ways. Just recognizing that quiet and moments of moments of intentional silence, not just I'm being quiet because I, no one else is in the house, but actually quieting my heart, quieting my mind, removing distractions that I so often put in place for myself to forget the silence and the solitude that I experience. And so doing it intentionally and finding finding the Spirit of the Lord in those moments yeah. and His goodness. So it's been... It's been challenging. I, I'd say that's probably been the biggest thing over the last year as I've walked with one foot in the stream and one foot in the desert um, is learning to appreciate both and learning to kind of sit in that tension. And the way in which I sit in that tension is through silence and solitude. Yeah. Allowing yourself to feel the uncomfortable. Yeah, and that's not a place that most of us like to be. No. I don't like being there. Um, I'm a seven on the Enneagram, and so oh, feelings of pain yeah. are, like, my number one avoidance. Right. And so it doesn't feel like tension to me. It feels like pain right. um, because I'm often having to confront things that I process mentally but not emotionally in those spaces of silence and solitude. And so that's the last thing I want to do in those moments is confront, you know, have the Spirit of the Lord confront me in those ways and be like, so you've thought this through and you've made your plans, but now you need to experience the emotion behind these things. And feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. And, And not just like how I feel about it, but how others may feel about it and how the Lord feels about it. And that's, yeah, I mean... To be completely honest, I've probably spent most of my life avoiding those places of silence and solitude for that reason, because I don't want to deal with those emotions or those places of tension that feel like pain. Um, 
but you know, there's a reason why we stretch before we exercise. It brings a little bit of pain, but it's to keep us from experiencing injury or trauma um, later on. And so learning to see those spaces of uncomfortableness, tension, pain as a stretching, as that, you know, preparing me so that I'm not really wounded, you know? Okay. Oh, I do want to ask, how, so could you mention about uh, being single? So you're mm-hmm. a lead pastor and you're single. Yeah. And how has that influenced? I mean, I'm sure it influences the way you minister, but have you noticed it or is it just, well, it's just who I am and how I do it? And... So I, I don't think I notice it. I've lived my whole life single, so I don't really know any other way. I'm sure that if I had been married previously or I had been in some sort of long-term relationship and now I'm not, my perspective would be different. Um, but this is just how I, how I am. This is, so everything that, you know, how I plan out my schedule, I don't have to consider anyone, <laughs> you know, I don't have to, you know, call someone and say, Hey, do we have something planned at such and such time? Because I need to go over and, you know, do this with this person. So I, I have a lot of freedom in my ability to pastor while being single. I think there are times when my congregation just simply doesn't know what to do with me because I don't have a family, because I don't, I, I'm just not the typical pastor model that they've been given for the last 60 years that they've been in existence. And so because of that, I think there are moments when I would like to be included in things, but because I don't have children, I'm not invited to activities at the school or because I don't have a spouse, I'm not included in couples nights out, you know? So it's like, it's like you get unintentionally left out because you're single. And I don't know if that's just because I'm single or if I'm a pastor or if it's a little bit of both. I would say as a single person, the best thing a congregation can do is just invite their pastor to dinner every so often because we eat a lot of meals alone right? and we just feel disconnected. So, yeah. It makes it makes it any easier. Sometimes it is just because you're best. <laughs> right, and I I recognize like, that's probably yeah. some of it. Yeah. Well, and I think too, like I don't think we realize how much we rely on our families to help us make social connections. Their friends groups tend to revolve around other couples that have kids with, you know, kids the same age as theirs or close to it, and those are often the relationships that we take with us into later adulthood as well. And so how much our family structure tends to um, provide easy access to social relationships. And as a single person, if you, you have to actively seek out ways to be invited or to intrude, right. <laughs> for lack of a better word, on, on people's kind of social uh, gatherings <laughs> in order to not feel alone and isolated. And sometimes you just get tired of trying to subtly or not so subtly invite yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my youth pastor is single and, and so we are all making arrangements to go to d- pastor spouse retreat. And I said, now you're going, right? And she's like, 
how awkward will it be as a as I'm like you will have somebody to hang out with all the time trust me so you might at some point be like yeah, I'm good I'll just go to my room things <laughs> right and that is so wonderful to hear that coming from a lead pastor like that you are intentionally looking for ways to include your single staff um, and I wish more I wish more lead pastors would be that intentional um, not all of them are and I don't think it's out of a place of maliciousness or or they just don't care or anything right. like that I think it's I think it's just they don't realize you know as a lead pastor with no staff right. <laughs> Again, I have to intentionally seek out in a other rural area. In a rural area, yeah, um, I have to intentionally seek out other ways to connect with colleagues. And and Joanne, you've been great. Um, different times when I've uh, hey, can I talk to you? And you know, just different things. And you've just been a great source of encouragement um, in those moments. But it is hard. You just just kind of get tired of just asking constantly for yourself and. And speaking up constantly, <laughs> like, hey, don't forget, I have me, like, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I don't mean to complain, and I hope it doesn't come across in that way. It's, it's just a challenge, just like I'm sure having, you know, uh, being married and having five kids and trying to pastor would be a challenge. The girl part, so that already makes it a little bit awkward, you know, people don't know what to do with us sometimes. Right. So even even sometimes my congregation and that's all they've ever known. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't do anything with me. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like just treat me how you would want to be treated. Yeah. Like <laughs> that golden rule thing. Imagine that popping up. <laughs> yeah. So I am an introvert though, so I can handle a little more solitude than most people. <laughs> but every once in a while, I'm like, I don't see some people. I might go crazy pretty soon. All right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and I think that speaks to the way how God has designed us. God has designed us to be in communion with one another. I mean, you see that reflected in the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that's why we say that we're in a relationship with, with the Lord, because it, it is a relationship, a relationship with the Lord relationship with others, because there is something that happens when we're in communion with one another, the Greek koinonia, right? Yeah. That deep fellowship with one another. And in our moments of strength, we can help empower other people and, and help those that are weak. And in our moments of weakness, you know, we are encouraged by those around us um, who speak truth and, and love in our moments where we're unsure or needing peace. Oh, yeah. My, my senior widow stand in line to get a hug. Every Sunday. Yes. If they can get two, they will circle back around. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a hugger? No, I am not. But I'm like, I reserve all of it for them on Sunday because I know. Yeah. yeah. And that is so important. Um, I have a number of widows in my church as well. And they are a hugging church, and I am not a hugger. Yeah. And so, and they know that. I mean, I've told them, I, I'm not a hugger. I said, but I will hug you. Like, yeah. like it's okay. And I do. I have a lady every Sunday. She says, I need my pastor hug. And she'll come up, and I'll give her a hug. And um, I think we often forget how important in healing touch can be. You know, right. and especially for those that are either widowed or single in some way, some for whatever the reason, um, positive, affirming 
healing touch is, is really important and being able to do that even if you have to reserve it for for just the widows like that is is needed and necessary and uh, should be a part of our our fellowship in some way uh, maybe not the passing of the the kiss of peace but yeah. um but at least um some sort of hug or 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 positive positive physical physical interaction right well and for many of those people that's the only physical touch they've will have all week right so other than like giving someone money at the grocery store or something like that which most people use cards nowadays so you don't even get that interaction i mean uh, we are we are becoming a culture that is more and more isolated despite all of our social media attempts to point us in the opposite direction but at least as far as physical touch is concerned, I mean, you can, I can go weeks with it, especially if I'm not at church for whatever reason, if it's my week off or, you know, I'm, I'm gone somewhere else. Like I could go weeks without having physical contact with another person in any way, shape or form other than the exchange of money because of where I work. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, and how many people do, they don't do the small phone play with their phone. Right. Exactly. Yep. All right. So I asked all my podcast people uh, advice you would give for women who either uh, are wrestling with the call to ministry or maybe they've accepted the call but now they're in a season of doubt mm. wow uh, so much there <laughs> right uh, to boil it down to just one or two things I think I would based on my own experience I would encourage women to enjoy the process of of learning to be led by the Spirit. You don't have to believe that you are the one to pastor right then and there. Um, I mean, from the time I started my district license to the time I was ordained, took me nine years. Yeah, nine years. And I had had, you know my previous years of experience of being called but not knowing what to do with it because I didn't believe in women in ministry. Um, so it was it was an over 10-year process for me um, to get to the point where I'm like, okay, I this is what God has called me to, to do and to be. I think if I had just, you know, that from that very first moment on the sitting on the floor in my bedroom been like, okay, I'm going to, you know, be a pastor. Right. I think it would have been a disaster. It would have been a train wreck. I was not spiritually mature enough. I was not emotionally aware enough and I had listened to a lot of bad counsel up to that point a lot of bad theology that really needed to be unlearned and I needed those untruths to be rooted out and pulled out and to be replaced by by godly voices by um by truth, by scripture, by um, the examples of those that have gone before. And so I think I would say doubts are normal, but don't listen to them. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Satan will use that to get you off course. So recognize it for what it is and find a mentor or mentors that will speak truth to you in those moments of doubt that will be patient enough to walk alongside you and to say, this is the call that you've been given. 
this is what God is calling you to. I know it's hard to lean into that right now. And maybe you just need to rest for a little bit. Just rest in that God's doing something good and we'll work through this together. You're not alone in this process. And um, to go alone is, is to find failure because you'll get tired and burn out and frustrated. Um, but if you can gather that support team around you and in those moments of doubt or frustration, listen to their counsel and keep going back to scripture and being anchored in that and being anchored in the call that God has given you, despite it taking a long time, maybe. Right. The Lord will be faithful and the Lord will bring you through. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. You did.